The reading today is taken from Ezra chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then 61 to 70, which is on page 472 in the Church Bibles. The list of the exiles who returned. Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sarai, Relakai, Mordecai, Bilsham, Mispah, Bigvi, Rahum, and Benar. The list of the men of the people of Israel starts here at verse 3 and continues to verse 61, which I'm not going to read out. So it continues from verse 61. From among the priests, the descendants of Habai, Hakoz, and Barzillai, a man who had married a daughter of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there was a priest ministering with the Urim and Thummim. The whole company listed numbered 42,360, besides their 7,337 male and female slaves. And they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the family gave free will offering towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 darics, that's 500 kilograms of gold, 5,000 minas, that's three tons of silver, and 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Janet, for reading that. But we're not escaping the lists today. So the uh, forward focus might be slightly later than you thought, but we'll see how it goes. All right, I'm obviously uh, on sound. I'll see if I can find the slide. All right, okay. As um, Bart and uh, Mark have said, we're going to look at Ezra. Um, I started Ezra as an occasional sermon series back in November last year, and today seems like a good occasion to move on to Ezra chapter 2. The two chapters actually are a bit like a double album. Do you remember double albums? 
I, I used to love them. I have to save really hard to afford a double album back in the day, and I'm sure you can think of your favorite double album. Share it with me um, later, but let's not get too distracted. So we're going to look at Ezra chapter 2. It's been read, or partly read, um, and it presents us with a challenge. Are you ready for a challenge? Do you feel ready for a challenge on a Sunday? You've had a hard week at work or at home? But this is a challenging passage. Every passage um, in Scripture that I look at, I always remember these words from 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I realise I could see it there, but I just like turning around. This is a challenging passage. It's a genealogy, and it's part of the Old Testament, and it's a sort of passage, if you've ever done the Bible in one year, you look forward to the day when the passages are genealogies, because you can skim read. You ever done that? Let's be honest. We've done it, haven't we? We've skim read the genealogies, because uh, we, well, they're just a list of names. That's, that means my reading for the day is done and I can get on with other things. It also reminds me of switching off during school prize giving. <laughs> Ever done that? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard for the teachers as well, I can say this. Um, it's very hard to keep concentration. In my last school, I can say this now, um, we used to be given a program of names and one of my colleagues found a, a book that fitted inside the, the program and she would read it during the, the ceremony. I hope it was an improving book, that's all I can say. So I'm looking carefully. You need your Bibles open, by the way, because we are going to look at these names. I can see some Bibles are open, that's excellent. I'll be looking maybe later to see if mobile phones have found their way in. But uh, we're going to look at this passage and we're going to learn what the Lord has to say to us from this passage. A list of names from over 2,500 years ago. How can God speak to us through that list? So. Let's start with the prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Ezra chapter 2. Hearts moved and priorities become clear. In chapter one, if uh, you can cast your mind back to last year, or if you want to, these, these uh, sermons obviously are on, the, on the, the church website. In chapter one, one person in particular's heart was moved at the start of the chapter. Are you very good on your Persian kings? This is King Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia. We looked at his heart, God moved his heart in chapter one. He was in charge of the Persian Empire, which included the Jewish exiles, and he had a really good idea. He thought, I've got a brilliant idea. I'm going to allow people to return to their homes and set up their own um, religious practices again as a way of keeping my empire together, keeping things going. So he, he made this decision based on his self-interest, not realizing that this was actually what God wanted. He wanted his people to return from exile and rebuild the temple. And I came up with a, a term in theology called providential concurrence, if you remember that. God's plan was being carried out by a person who believed that they were carrying out their own plan and that following their own self-interest. So Cyrus's heart was moved to allow the people to return to Jerusalem. And it was all part of God's plan. And I used this slide. 
That's the whole of uh, the Bible in one PowerPoint slide. Um, do you remember Judges? Hopefully that bit fits in a bit better now than it did maybe um, before in November. But the people had, had judges ruling over them. They then had kings, and that went into decline. And they were conquered by the Babylonians, who then conquered, were conquered by the Persians. And then they were allowed to return. And then after that, it looks forward to Jesus, the birth, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this was all part of God's plan. Cyrus didn't know that. He thought he was doing his own plan. But he was actually following God's plan. And I think I mispronounced this last time. I still say Ypres. I know some of you pronounce it differently. At the end of the um, service in November, it was actually a remembrance service, and I actually did reference chapter 2 very briefly because of um, the remembrance, the remembrance day and the memorials, and talked about how we went there as a family, we looked for our family on the list, and I'm sure you've done similar things in, in France, Belgium, maybe in villages or towns around the country. When you see these um, memorials, you look for the name, and you make a connection in the same way as the first people in um, the exile returning, would, uh, their, their descendants would make a connection with this list as well. So, who were these people on this list that I let Janet not read? Um, who was the list? Who were on the list? Whose hearts were moved by the Lord? I think um, it's important to make a connection with them to understand the passage rather than just see it as an anonymous list. They, these were real people, real families, people with jobs to do. And we know that the, the list contains the family heads from chapter 1 of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites. And we also learn in the passage of their priorities. So who were they? You need to have your Bibles open because we're going to cast our eyes down the lists. Okay. Splits into three. The leaders the people, or the laity, and the temple workers. So come with me to Ezra chapter 2, um, and we're going to start looking at the list. For those who are interested, the list appears again in Nehemiah. If you're doing the Bible in a year, you'll meet the list again in Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah discovers this list 100 years afterwards, almost 100 years after it being written, and it's a copy of the original list, and he looks at it and reads it out. So, let's start with the easy section, which Janet actually read. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Cast your mind through that list very quickly. Okay. All done? I always found it difficult as a teacher to work out when the students had finished reading the passage. Okay. Um, there's probably one name you might recognize. Zerubbabel. Joshua, yeah, these are names you're familiar with. Zerubbabel was the grandson of one of the last kings of Judah, and Joshua was the son of the previous high priest. So on that list, probably two names that I would highlight are Zerubbabel and Jeshua or Joshua. These represent the leaders of the people, the king and the high priest. They were two separate roles, but they were working together in the exile. We see that um, work united in Christ. Christ is our king and is our high priest. So in a way, two people, normally it's the other way around. I always find one person re retires and two people do their job. This 
In this case, two people retire and one person does their job. This is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our high priest and is our king. So in a way, it's looking towards Jesus. So that's the easy one. Now let's cast our eye down to the next section. Chapter 2, verses 33 to 35. I'll give you slightly longer to look at the list. Okay, right. The, um, the list is in two parts. You've got names of families in the, in the first section from 3 to 20, and then you've got um, places, hometowns, territories named um, from 21 to 35. I don't know if any of these names look familiar. They didn't to me, I have to be honest. One of the beauties of having a study Bible is you can have a list of what these names mean. So do you see um, Parosh at the top? Apparently it means flee. That's as in the parasite, not as in run away. Interesting. Uh, Aras, a little further down, it means wild ox. And Atur means left-handed. So these are, these are names that have meaning. To us, those meanings are not immediate, but they have meaning. These are significant people. I, I'm hoping you recognize some of the place names in the second half of the list. You do, don't you? Please say you do. I, I, think, I think the top three are Bethlehem, Jericho, and Bethel. Anywhere else? Okay. Okay. Right. These, these are places, these are territories as well. So what is, what is this saying? This is saying to the readers, remember the promise to Abraham? Abraham was promised two things by God. Descendants and land. So you get the descendants' names in the first half of this section, and you get the territories in the second half. So this is, to the readers, this would say, this is, this is about the promise to Abraham. He will have numerous descendants, and you will have the promised land. Okay, how are we doing? Let's move on to the final section. Oops, sorry. The final section is about the Levites, the priestly class. And it's basically, it's a list of um, names and also roles. You get um, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers. They're all part of the Levite group who are set apart to work in the temple. And then you get the servants at the end who aren't um, Levites, but they serve in the temple. I reckon there are two names that should stand out as familiar to you. If you're looking on this list, I think there are two names you might recognize. Have a look. Asaph, yeah. Why do you remember him? Psalms. He wrote Psalms, and he wrote several. He wrote, I think, Psalm 50, and then... I'm trying to... Do off the top of my head when I go check the numbers. I think it's 73 to 83. He was a psalmist, and his psalms are in the book of Psalms. It's one other person whose name you should recognize Solomon. Solomon's servants. King Solomon, one of the great kings of, of Israel, is mentioned in there as well. So hopefully, we're starting to connect with this list. It's not just an anonymous list, list now. We're, we're feeling connected in some way. We know about these people a little bit more. So, what is the list there for? The list is there to show the link between the people before the exile and the people who are returning from exile. There's a continuity. God's, God's remnant, as we sometimes call it, is being taken back to the promised land. But the big question is, where's Ezra? 
Is he on the list? Feels like, where's Wally? On all these names, where's, where's Ezra? Is he in there? The answer is no, he's not on this list. He's not in the first wave of returnees. He comes back later in the book, in fact, in chapter 7, and Nehemiah comes back later as well. So, let's have a look at, having got some connection with the people, let's look at the um, priorities, which speak to us quite strongly. There are three priorities in the people as they return. The first one is they're there to restore the temple, to rebuild the temple, to re-establish worship as God intended them to worship him. There's no mention of the builders yet, that will come later, but the purpose is to restore proper worship, to restore the relationship they had with God before the exile, to re-establish the worship and relationship that he wanted. They're also seeking to obey scripture. There's a, the, the end of the passage has got an interesting section around verse 61. If you look at verse 61, there's a list of people who it says, who were looking to see if they could find their names in the family records to show they were Levites. They were, they were people who wanted to serve as Levites, but they couldn't establish at that point whether they were of the Levite um, sort of group in Israel. And so they're excluded from worship. This is sometimes described as a strange interlude in the passage, because why is it there? Why is, why is it there? It's there to remind us that these people wanted to be obedient to God's word, to obey scripture, and only allow the right people to carry out this important work of leading worship and, and being leaders of the faith. They didn't want to make the mistakes they'd made in the past. They wanted to, to honor God's word and do it properly. And there's a mention, I can't pass by this because we looked at this recently. It's the Urim and the Thummim. This is to do with the ephod, remember the ephod? Yeah, it's all part of the ephod. This is a way of finding out things in, in uh, Israel at the time. We won't go into it now, but they, they say, we can't establish whether you should be in the Levite clan, but we're going, to, um, we're going to come back to it. So they wanted to restore proper worship. They wanted to obey scripture, and they wanted to show their commitment. If you look at the end of the passage, they give a free will offering um, from verse 68 onwards. It's a very large free will offering. And what is um, surprising and challenging is they didn't need to do it because Cyrus, we read later, had actually given funds over for the rebuilding of the temple, but they wanted to do it anyway. They wanted to give money for the rebuilding, even though the funds were available. This was showing their commitment rather than their complacency. So they were generous in their giving to the rebuilding of the temple. So priorities were there. They wanted to show God, they wanted to return and worship him as he intended. There was a clear purpose in their, um, in their sort of leaving Persia, the Persian Empire and going back to Jerusalem. They also sought to be pure and committed to God's word in that worship, and they wanted to give a sign of their commitment. I, I, str I struggled with the last P. I wanted to be illiterate there. And profusion. They, they were profuse. They were generous in their giving. And 
In a way, this obviously speaks to us because we've, um, we've been having a building appeal and I've, for one, have learned so much of God's um, goodness to us and the way in which he's led people to give profusely towards the building fund. So purpose, purity, and profusion were the three things that they showed when their hearts were moved by God. So what does this mean? What are you going to take away from this? Okay, let's take away some um, things from what we learned from that. First thing, if you notice it, I always like to leave you sort of with dots to look at. What is your, or so what is our, how do we seek, what is our most important? So, what is our purpose? Our purpose is unchanged from those people 2,500 years ago. We are to, in the words of Jeremiah, we are to boast that we understand and we know God. I, I love the, um, there's a, a document called the Westminster Assembly's Catechism, which is a series of questions and answers. And the first question is, what is your chief purpose, your chief end? What is the purpose of your life? And it says that your chief end should be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what these returnees want to do. They want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is unchanged. That should be our purpose as well. Second one is a little bit harder because they sought to be a pure priesthood. Um, this has changed because Jesus Christ has become our high priest. And we as Christians are described in Peter's letters as being a, a spiritual building, a royal priesthood. Um, the purity rules of membership of the temple priesthood are gone, but there was an expectation of purity in them, and there should be an expectation of purity in us as a royal priesthood. Not talking about sort of genealogies here, but in our obedience to God's word, in obedience to scripture, wanting to live pure lives. That priority remains with us today as Christians. And then finally, what is the most important list to be included in? The names we've looked at in the passage today are over 2,500 years old. Um, I wonder what they would be thinking if they knew that we'd be looking at their names so far into the future. It's quite uh, interesting. We struggled, apparently, there was a survey done. We struggled to remember three generations back. These are way, way back. So these lists look back, but we need to also look forward and God's plan is continuous. It's not just a plan we can trace back in time. It goes forward in time. And that's where we should be looking. We should be looking for the list going forward. And there's a very important list in Revelation. The Lamb's list in the Book of Life. Yeah. Yeah. This is the list that we should be thinking about. It's great to see God's plan in the past and its continuity, but we should be looking forward as well. God's plan goes forward. It doesn't just point us back to the start. So I've, I've amended the list a little bit to make it a little bit more encompassing. We can start with creation, and we can see it leading through to Jesus, and we are now in the last section of God's plan where we're looking forward to the new creation, where the, the books will be open and the Lamb's book of life will be there in the holy city at the end. So, where are we? We've done Ezra 2. I hope you enjoyed the second half of the double album. Um, 
As one commentator said, we have the actors assembled. 40, over 40,000 actors have now assembled. We have the stage, we have the ruins of Jerusalem as our stage, and the drama is about to begin in Ezra 3. What is the drama about? We'll have to find out in the next occasional sermon. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage in Scripture. We do thank you that everything in Scripture is there to help us. It's your word, and it is a powerful word, Lord. There's so much you want us to know, so much you want to help us in our lives with as Christians to guide us to inspire us. We thank you for these people and the way that they were motivated. You changed their hearts and they were motivated to serve you, to make you your and your worship their central priority, to seek to live pure lives, to honor your word and to obey your word and to give generously to your work so that your kingdom could be extended. Help us to apply these things to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen.